testing. <clears throat> What's going on with dance and stuff? What's happening with dance and things? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on with dance and stuff? Oh, I sang it slowly. Wanted to make sure the intonation was okay. Whilst I was singing, I thought about um, the fact that I was potentially going to be at the opera tonight. Um, I, I've heard from my friends Greg and John that Der Meistersinger is an excellent production at the Met. It is also six hours long. And I was thinking about going tonight at 6 p.m., but I didn't. And because my friend Cassie and I got excited about going, and then we realized it was probably not a great idea. And that's true, because I'm worn down. I'm worn down from doing quite a lot of work since I came back from Cape Cod. And I have a sty on my left eyelid. Well, it's sort of interior eyelid. Um, I thought two days ago while I was walking home from work, I was like, oh, it's painful to blink. And, um, I thought that's odd. And I was like, I wonder if my eye is swollen. Do I have a brain tumor? And then I, um, you know, rested and the next day it just sort of felt more painful. And then finally... Uh, last night or this morning, I, I really put my finger up there and touched close to the tear duct on the upper lid. And I thought, oh, it's acute, an acute pain. And this has to be a sty. And my eyelid was starting to kind of get a little swollen and pink. And today I woke up and it was even more swollen and more pink. And I had to go to a meeting with an important client. And, um... I think it's fine because someone else on the meeting also seemed to have a sty and it's that you know transition of season sickness that I'm sure a lot of people are dealing with <clears throat> so after the meeting Harriet and I went to decompress uh, pure Thai which is in Hell's Kitchen and then we and then I went to urgent care because I just wanted to make sure the sty wasn't something else and the doctor didn't give it much of a look. He just was like, yeah, seems like a sty. You're going to want to go home and put a hot compress on it for a long time and then just continue doing that. <clears throat> and I was like, well, thank you. I'm sorry for taking up your time and I'm glad my eye's not exploding. Um, and, uh, I go to the urgent care on, um, 13th just off of 6th Avenue I like to think of them as my primary care physician and they I feel like the doctor and the and the physician's assistants are having a really good time there and the people who work at the desk are not so I don't know where the disconnect is I'm thinking about maybe exploring different urgent cares There's, the vibe was weird today I don't like the lighting in the in the examination rooms um, and then I came home and I did a hot compress, got under the covers, and we're talking 5 p.m. And I watched 
about two minutes of the Claire Saffitz gingerbread house video that came out today and fell asleep. Got to the end of it, rewound it, <clears throat> and watched, watched it properly. So I guess I only had really a 20 minute nap. And then I, uh, what did I do? I talked to Stuart on the phone for a little while and he gave me my idea for the secret topic tonight, which I'll just be doing with myself. So it's really only secret to you, but not to me. Um, but Stuart and I had a really good talk and we talked about what we've been doing since Cape Cod and what we've been watching and there's a new episode of Dope Sick out. Have you been watching Dope Sick? You know, my Aunt Jane produced as the executive producer on Dope Sick and um, did I tell the story how I went, gosh, if I told this story, now I'm really treating my podcast listeners just like I treat my friends. Um, I went to the premiere at MoMA with Aunt, as Aunt Jane's date and um, I got to meet the people in it, um, but also like, I don't know, like going to a reception with all these TV and movie people, it was, you know, it was no different than any other reception that I kind of want to leave after I'm there for a few minutes. I had a nice chat with Ira Glass about um, the work he did I think with Monica Bill Barnes, he was in a modern dance piece and we had a chat about that because he's friends with my Aunt Jane's friend, Nikki. Um, Nikki, Nikki, Nikki's last name is eluding me. Nikki is a Broadway actress who is also on TV shows, but Nikki won a Tony for school. What's that, how, what's that movie called? What's that show called? Uh, Mormon, Mormon. How, what, what's that show called? Book of Mormon. And Nikki's friends with Ira Glass, so I had a nice weird chat with Ira Glass, he was odd. I talked with Nick Poulter, who's on um, Dope Sick. He's British, did you know that? Will Poulter, who's in, you know, I think he's in Maze Runner and Midsommar. He only plays Americans. And then suddenly there he was, English accent. We talked about not knowing how to drive well and I don't remember what else. And anyways, he was wearing a Tom Brown suit just to give it back. Um, I sat next to Rosario Dawson and Claire Danes and Hugh Dancy were sitting in front of me. I got to meet Michael Keaton who winked at my Aunt Jane because she did such a good job on the show. Anyways, everybody should watch, um, everyone should watch Dope Sick. Um, it's, intense and informational and fun and the acting is good uh, why am I telling you oh Stuart and I and we talked about Project Runway where all the designers are so bad but Christian Siriano's having a good time and I like that and um, this season they seem to have more mentally ill designers than usual which makes for you know more interesting television unfortunately. Um, then I made dinner, which was um, a salad with a famous salad dressing that my ex-boyfriend always used to make, which is plain yogurt, whole grain mustard, 
olive oil and you can put some lemon juice, but I put in some apple cider vinegar, salt and pepper, and it makes a kind of like tangy, creamy dressing. And I put in cucumbers and romaine lettuce, and then I chopped up some tomatoes and fresh mozzarella, and I have these delicious crackers from Trader Joe's that are non-crackers, like N-A-A-N. And that was it. I put some olive oil on the cheese and tomatoes and I ate it with the crackers. And so, um, what else can I tell you? I had a really nice dinner with Bella and James, the Cindy's and James's boyfriend, Augie, um, following, they, they did the step and repeat for the ABT gala. So they had to get dressed up, but then they didn't go to the show cause they weren't performing. So we just went to dinner at Cafe Luxembourg. That was really nice. Um, and other things have happened. Russell came by studio yesterday and we got him dressed up. He and I had a nice lunch at Essex Market. Um, we, <laughs> Harriet and I made a striped sweater for Parker, her, her dog. Um, it was so cute. And we made it from a scrap that, um, I had saved from a trip to Paris making costumes for Liz Santoro and I had bought some yardage there to make a, a lovely t-shirt for I think someone named Marco and so I had some leftovers so we made I mean leftovers from like seven years ago and we made Parker a little sweater and then we put it on her so cute and she was totally flipped out about it and she kind of wouldn't walk. And then when she finally did, she, she looked totally haunted and sort of yelped. And then she grabbed onto my leg like I was a lifeboat and was just like, like, don't let me die. Please keep me safe. Oh, that is exactly what it was like. It was exactly like that scene in um, <clears throat> AI where Haley Joel Osment, who, for those of you who don't know, uh, AI directed by Steven Spielberg, but was the unfinished project of Stanley Kubrick. Um, Haley Joel Osment plays an emotional support um, animatronic child who um, Francis Francis Baker Francis. Hmm. There's a British actor actress named Francis something. But she plays an American in this movie and she and her husband don't recall who plays him. <clears throat> they have more or less lost their child to some kind of um, long-term illness. So rather than just let their child die, they put him in stasis, like cryogenic stasis. And in the meantime, while they're waiting for someone to develop a cure for whatever it is their child has, um, you know, the, the husband, Francis O'Connor, is that wrong? Who's Francis O'Connor? I think it might be Francis O'Connor. While, so Francis O'Connor's really depressed, so her husband is like, I have a great idea, I'm gonna get you this child doll, essentially, to stand in for a real child. So, um, she gets this android, and it's Haley Joel Osment, and at first it's really weird, and she's not into it. And then she kind of gets more into it, and so she does this imprinting process onto the robot, which is basically like a now-you-can't-turn-back step, where you say a series of words to the robot, and what happens is 
it programs the robot to at that point understand that you are its mother and it gives you this kind of unconditional love. And so she goes through the process and then the Haley Joel Osment robot is totally in love. I'm like, you know, like all eight to 10 year old children with, with, with their mom. And then just very shortly after that, the, the, their real son, they find a cure. So they bring him out of the refrigerator. And, um, so then Haley Joel Osment and the other child have to essentially live as brothers, which goes awry. And at one point they're having a birthday party for their real child and the friends of the child are like kind of teasing Haley Joel Osment and they're like oh you're one of them robots <clears throat> and um they're gonna you know try to hurt him and he gets scared and so he holds on to his brother and he's like keep me safe keep me safe keep me safe this is the point of the story keep me safe and then he backs up and backs up until he falls into the swimming pool all the while not really understanding that he's pulled his brother into the swimming pool because he's still just keep me safe, keep me safe. And the human child is drowning. Um, and so someone jumps in and um, extricates the real child from Haley Joel Osment's arms. And at that point, they realize it's liability to keep Haley Joel Osment in the house, though Frances O'Connor has developed a relationship with Haley Joel. And so... She knows the rule that if you if you choose to not keep the child, the, the robot child, then they have to decommission it. You have to take it back to the factory and they dismantle it. And she's so horrified at the idea of this child who she does love um, getting, you know, re- taken apart or ended. So she does this insane thing where she drives... While they're driving to the place, she just stops at the side of the road and she's like, run, run, run away. Don't let anybody, keep yourself safe. Don't let anyone get you. And all that Haley Joel Osment has is his um, animatronic teddy bear named Teddy, who has, you know, like Peter Fox voice or something. That's not true, but like some like old man raspy voice. And they're obviously totally flipped out and then they're just on their own in the woods they do eventually get trapped by these people who have these really hideous animatronic um destruction competitions where they just like basically kill animatronic people for for fun and they somehow escape from that jude law is like a sex worker animatronic and they escape with him Anyways, they end up in, like, the big city. They go to some um, fortune-telling digital app place where Robin Williams voices this, like, wizard who explains them what to do. They do end up somehow getting back to the place where Haley Joel Osment comes from, which is a version of, like, New York City that's now, like, up to the 50th floor with water. And so Haley Joel Osment goes to the offices of his maker which is um William Hurt and he realizes in this nightmarish scene that he's just one of many because he ends up in a room where there are tons of him packaged in boxes like like my buddy dolls and then he somehow escapes again in the flying car 
uh, Jude Law isn't in the car with them anymore. I don't know where he went. The police got him. And um, Jude Law's in trouble with the cops because he ends up at a crime scene at one of his um, tricks. Uh, and he didn't kill the person, but it looks like he killed the person. Anyway, somebody framed him because he's a robot and what, who cares about robots? So anyways, Haley Joel Osment is with Teddy in the flying car. And which is also, the flying car is also a submarine. So the flying car goes down into the water around Coney Island and ends up getting stuck or runs out of uh, juice or something, gets stuck right near the Ferris wheel at Coney Island. And they, they turn on the headlights and they're, they're looking at the blue ferry. And, and um, Haley Joel Osment's character knows the story of Pinocchio because I think the Robin Williams uh, digital thing told him, you know, you have to find the blue fairy because as we know, Pinocchio, the blue fairy turns Pinocchio into a real boy. And so Haley Joel Osment knows that if he can turn into a real boy, then maybe his mother will love him too. So he um, is weirdly in this subterranean vehicle with the headlights pointing at a statue of the blue fairy because he's in uh, Pinocchio world at Coney Island and um, he just sits there begging to the blue fairy to make him a real boy until um, an ice age passes because the next thing we know is that we see these machines excavating ice and suddenly Haley Joel Osment and Teddy are being thawed out and they're surrounded by these kind of aliens that are clear but just with sort of humanoid forms, but with a, these highways of thin lights running through their bodies like veins. And they're able to extricate information from Haley Joel Osmond's um, microchips or something, his, his, uh, his uh, memory card. And he happens to be one of the very few remains of human civilization that these aliens are able to get their hands on in the excavating of of you know planet earth which has clearly been in an ice age for thousands of years and you know there are no more human remains but here they have this incredible record of human life on planet earth through the memories of this animatronic so these aliens have a technology where they can um they can revive um, a, a biological form if they have a specimen of DNA, but the technology is not advanced enough for them to keep that form alive indefinitely. And basically in all their testing from having found cellular material on earth, they, um, they can only bring the thing back for 24 hours. So Haley Joel Osment, they do this incredibly kind thing for Haley Joel Osment in order to keep him kind of happy or pacified, which is they generate a, a universe from his memory of very comforting thoughts. So it's his home. And, um, but obviously there's nobody there because they don't have any 
any remains from his mom or dad. And um, they make a kind of projection of the Blue Fairy as voiced by Meryl Streep to explain all of this to Haley Joel Osmond in a kind of mothering way so that um, he, uh, he can understand why it is that he can't have his mom back and be a real boy. And then Teddy shows up during this conversation with Meryl Streep and he's like, well, you can bring her back because, you know, I have some of her hair because there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where Haley Joel Osment cuts a little bit of his mom's hair. And I can't recall why, but she was flipped out by it. At any rate, Teddy pulls the hair out of like the lining of his fur and hands it to Haley Joel Osment. Um, and God, why is it that I can't remember the name of this child? Haley Joel Osmond is a, God, I wish I could remember. Anyways, Teddy hands Haley Joel Osmond this hair and then Haley Joel Osmond passes it on to the aliens and says, now you must bring her back for me. And they do. And Haley Joel Osmond is afforded one perfect day with his mother, which is narrated by Kevin Klein. And it is truly one of the most heartbreaking three minutes of cinema you will ever lay your eyes on. And at the end of it, oh God, Francis O'Connor and he have this one perfect day where they eat and bathe and play games. And, and then at the end of the day, she's like, oh, I'm just so tired and I, had the most wonderful day. His name is David. And she says, you know, David, I love you so much. And she falls asleep. And then David lays next to her in the bed. And oh, I'm going to cry. He said, <laughs> and the end Kevin Klein narrates, well, as like a tear streams from David's eyes as he watches his mom go to sleep. He shuts his eyes, and for the first time, David falls asleep. And, and then you just see Teddy jump up onto the bed with them. And then the cameras pan out of the house, and that's the end. Oh my god, it's just so heartbreaking. Anyways, you should definitely watch AI. Um, was I in a... Sorry, that wasn't even not, that was not the secret topic for today. I did not intend to make myself cry <laughs> recounting AI for you. <clears throat> Anyways, it's a wonderful film and um, highly recommend it. I mean, it has some tedious bits, but the, it's worth it for the end. Um, at any rate, the secret topic for today is um, dinner for one sounds familiar. I already started by recounting uh, the meal that I had tonight, um, but we can discuss it more in depth. So, dinners for one. I've been preparing dinners for one for many, many years. Um, I don't recall doing it so much as a child. I think generally our mom did prepare or take us out to dinner. And 
Um, I, I guess I started preparing dinner for myself. I certainly prepared some lunches for myself, you know, by around the age of 10. But I started preparing dinners for myself once I was um, in college. And um, I had already at that point been preparing dinners for my family, for my brother and my mom. So I was well versed in sort of the mechanics of cooking. and um, I... Um, I'm sorry, I'm just slow at the moment, but I'll, 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 um, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to stop recording, sorry. Um, oh no, no, it's fine. I thought I had an urgent text, but, um, if you'll bear with me, I'm just gonna take 10 seconds to reply so I can focus on this thing. Baba, I'll sing you a song while I do it. Um, um. Um, okay. So, dinner for one. Uh, so once I was in college, I had to start, um, preparing dinners for one. And, you know, it's a lot of pasta. At this point, I was well-versed in how to prepare a simple spaghetti sauce from canned tomatoes, and um, maybe I'll, I'll share some of my um, most often used recipes with you. So for, for me, these days when I make pasta for one, which is probably my most comforting dish, it's, it's often what I make as my first meal when I move into an apartment or I'm in a hotel apartment long term. But um, I'll take a 28-ounce can of whole tomatoes or a package of grape or cherry tomatoes. I'll cook um, some garlic, red pepper flakes, and anchovies in a bunch of olive oil, but not burn them. Try to avoid burning the garlic. And then I will, um, uh, and then I will put in the tomatoes and cook them down. You don't have to cook them down for long. At this point, I already have the water on to boil. And then once I have the pasta in, I cook it until, you know, um, just, just shy of the package al dente recommendation. And then I'll take the pasta out of the water, very heavily salted water, by the way, out of the heavily salted water with uh, tongs or some kind of spider. And I'll cook it off in the pasta sauce along with some pasta water for a couple minutes. And that really makes a huge difference in terms of getting your sauce to have um, a little bit of body from the starchy water and, and having the ability to kind of coat the noodles without sliding off of them. Um, and so I will have, I'll have, um, I'll have that with a salad. Um, I'll dress the pasta with some olive oil parmesan cheese. I'll salad. I, the salad I described to you earlier is a favorite. Often I'll do the dressing without yogurt and without whole grain mustard, but rather with Dijon mustard and sometimes put a little bit of honey in it to counteract the acid from the lemon juice or the cider vinegar. And I like to shake up salad dressings in a jar. It tends to be easier than trying to like carefully emulsify them. But I also find that you don't really need to drizzle olive oil slowly into um, 
any kind of like acid in order to get it to emulsify. You can really use a whisk uh, and, and get a salad dressing emulsified. Um, <clears throat> anyways, what other meals do I like to prepare? I do not like to actually prepare sort of complex things as a single portion. So if I'm doing a soup or like a casserole type thing, like a pot pie, I will do a full recipe and just eat it for several days. Um, I love to do the New York Times red lentil soup. It's so simple. You can add things to it like fresh greens. You can make, it's done in less than an hour and you have soup for several days. I do, I, I have had some success with Alison Roman's chickpea stew. Um, but you do have to use canned chickpeas that are quite soft or you're not going to have um, a stewy enough stew. Um, occasionally I'll do like a sandwich for dinner if I really just feel like preparing a single portion. And in that case, if I have fresh mozzarella, I'll do that with a bunch of greens and mustard and mayonnaise and call it a day. I mean, what a good sandwich. And if there's good tomatoes in season... I mean, you can just do tomatoes on toast with mayonnaise, and that is a beautiful sandwich. Um, I like very much the joy of cooking's um, chicken with biscuits recipe. It's sort of a chicken pot pie casserole, but rather than make a top crust, you can just make a drop biscuit recipe that works beautifully on top. I've done that in ages. I almost never cook meat at home. Um, but I also, in terms of meat, let's see, I'll do like a, a fish that Pontus Lidberg taught me where you take salmon, but you cook off like a bunch of leeks beforehand in butter. And um, you get them really golden and soft and then you kind of wrap the salmon in them, the raw salmon, and then you just put the whole kind of blanketed salmon in the pan in the oven for a little while. And it kind of steam cooks inside of the braised or the sautéed vegetables. And I made it while we were in Cape Cod using uh, fennel and shallots because they didn't have leeks at the Stop and Shop. And that is a delicious dish. Uh, in the summer, I like to do this macaroni salad that has um, oil packed olive oil-packed tuna, mayonnaise, celery, red onion, cornichon. Um, you can put in any other kind of like crunchy vegetable that's not gonna sog out because you're gonna wanna keep this in the fridge for a few days because it's a big, it makes a lot. Uh, you can put in capers. Um, you can put in mustard if you want like a little tang to it. And I like to um, each day when I eat it, add a few fresh tomatoes to it or maybe some fresh cilantro. And then I like to eat it in romaine boats. So I'll put it, make like a taco out of my tuna noodle salad. I love that dish. Also summertime, I'm not against just eating a simple tomato salad and a bunch of corn on the cob for dinner. Also delicious. Um, I love doing Dutch oven cooking in the wintertime, various uh, stewy things. There's a Washington Post lentil soup recipe that Aunt Jane makes that's really delicious. It has, um, it's more involved than the New York Times when it has squash and potatoes and stuff. 
I like to do also roasted spaghetti squash in the winter that um, I think as if you take the spaghetti squash, which is kind of like, and you, you hold it long ways. So you lay it on its side and then you cut um, circles, like two inch thick rings out of the spaghetti squash sort of along the latitude, um, moving down the, the, the length of the spaghetti squash, and then you oil and salt and pepper those rings, and then you roast them on parchment paper on a tin in the oven. Then, once they're cooked through, you don't, you don't even have to peel the squash or anything. The spaghetti squash will just sort of fall right out of its skin, and then you can eat it with some ricotta cheese, and tomatoes and it is like almost like spaghetti absolutely delicious um what other meals or go-to's for moi sometimes i love to just have a grilled cheese sandwich with a fried egg on top and occasionally i'll put some like pickles in the grilled cheese sandwich the way i do my grilled cheese i know a lot of people like to put softened butter on the bread i like to just melt butter in the pan and often cut it with some olive oil for flavor. <clears throat> and then I place the two pieces of bread in the pan and I get them kind of like, oh no, oh, it's still recording. And I get them pretty like soggy on one side and then I flip the breads and I get whatever oil's remaining into the, that side of the bread and let that side heat up, okay? So now the, the, the side that's more soaked in fat is facing up. So then once I get that, that bottom, the side that's touching the pan warm, I turn it back over before it gets toasty. I place the cheese, pickles, cheese. You wanna always have like cheese, whatever else you're gonna put inside the cheese and then another layer of cheese. And then you put the other layer of bread on top so that you have the, the fatty sides of the bread exposed. And then don't let the heat be too high or you're not gonna get your cheese melted. You know, uh, use whatever cheese you want. I like a sharp cheddar. So then you cook it on one side slowly, cook it on the other side slowly, and then you have literally a perfect grilled cheese and you don't have to go through any effort of trying to spread butter, which I, I rarely have softened butter. I do have a nice green glass butter dish, but I keep it in the fridge. Um, I have had the bad experience of butter going rancid. So then, um, that's grilled cheese. That's a, oh, and then in the same hot pan, as soon as the scrambled eggs come out, and I highly recommend, um, the, uh, I can't remember. I think it's all clad. Is it? I'm going to just check. I have a 12 inch non-stick skillet. That is the Oh, it's OXO, and it's um, the 12-inch nonstick skillet from OXO, which is the recommendation of America's Test Kitchen, and it's perfect. And I keep it, um, I keep it with a pot holder on it, just so like anything else that I place on it won't scratch the surface. And I only use um, <clears throat> plastic cookware on it, and it's great. Um, it makes perfect fried eggs. So I'll do an over easy egg for my scrambled egg, I mean my grilled cheese sandwiches. Uh, I do a great chicken soup, which is super easy. I think I learned it from Sarah Carey, who works at Martha Stewart. So here's how it works. You take a pot, 
you cut up two onions into like a rough dice, throw those in there. Throw in a bunch of chopped carrots, throw in a bunch of chopped parsnips, okay? So the parsnips are key. And you can peel the parsnips if the skins are looking worse for the wear, but you don't have to. And then um, you can put in another hearty vegetable like squash, but you don't have to. You can really, I generally just stop there, carrots and parsnips and onions. I put in an entire washed chicken, um, none of the innards, and then I put water up to like an inch above the chicken and maybe like a tablespoon of kosher salt. Place it on the stove and just uh, bring it to a boil, turn it down to a simmer and let it simmer for an hour. At that point, the chicken will be cooked all the way through. You can let it go longer, but then take the chicken out um, you can strain off any kind of weird foam that comes to the surface of the soup. Um, but I, you know, it's not going to produce probably that much fat that you'll need to strain out. But if, if you do seem to have quite a bit of fat floating on the surface of the stock, you can, you can, um, skim it off the surface, let the chicken cool for a bit and then, um, just get down and dirty with that with that boiled chicken and just get the skin off, get all the good meat off the bones and just throw it right back in to the soup. Make sure it's warmed up and that's, you will be amazed at how delicious the soup is. You'll have to adjust for salt, but the parsnips and the carrots will give it this really, really beautiful balance because they make it quite sweet. And the chicken uh, gives it this very like savoriness. Anyways, it's great, it's great soup, super easy. Um, gosh, what else? Occasionally, this is like, I'll, I'll, I like to do like child's food. If I'm, if I'm tired, I'll just take like two flour tortillas, put a whole bunch of cheddar cheese, cilantro, put another tortilla, cook the quesadilla. If I'm ambitious, I'll like squash up an avocado and put, put some salt in it and have that as sort of a relish on top. Maybe even a little onion, if I have some onion in the fridge. Um... That's always a really, really quick, really delicious childish dinner. If occasionally I'll get like a nice package of Korean ramen soup and I'll cook that with a whole bunch of frozen peas and like spinach, if I have baby spinach in the fridge. Um, and a secret I learned is that if you put a little bit of raw garlic, like um, grated raw garlic and a, and a squirt of mayonnaise, into the ramen soup right when it's finished it it makes it seem very luxurious and it's true it does but i love peas in my ramen um some of the other pastas i like to do sometimes i'll do if i don't have tomatoes i'll just do a really simple kind of tuna fish e pasta where i'll again start the same way oil red pepper flakes garlic anchovies and then once the pasta is cooked, I will cook it in that just sort of um, aromatic oil mixture. And then I'll add in a can of olive oil tuna and then add peas. And if you had some toasted breadcrumbs, that would be delicious on it. But really, you can stop there and it's a beautiful meal. Um, I do a puttanesca that I learned on America's Test Kitchen, which involves... Um, you do have to blend a container of cherry or grape tomatoes. Um, 
and then you strain all of, so you blend up all the tomatoes, you put them through a strainer. And so you've already, you're, while you're cooking off aromatics, the, the garlic and the anchovies and the red pepper flakes, then you, then you just put in the tomato juice and you let it cook down. And then later in the cooking process, you'll add in all the fresh tomato pulp that's left over from the juice and the olives and the capers and the parsley a lot once the pasta's cooked in the sauce. And it's a really like bright and um, fresh tomato sauce because the, the, the flesh of the tomatoes gets cooked very little. Um, what else is dinner for one? I think that's good. That's, that's a... A good cross section. I'm often experimenting with like cacio e pepe and like true Alfredo recipes, but I have like weirdly bad luck with these parmesan based sauces with pasta. I find that I'll I'll often end up with like a lot of parmesan cheese sort of on the pot or on the utensils, the tongs I'm using to mix, and it's always difficult kind of clean up. I don't know. They're always delicious, but I find them to be a little more effort than they're worth because of the finicky nature of Parmesan cheese. And also the quality of the cheese has such a big effect. You know, you can't really do sauces like that with, with low quality Parmesan cheese because they'll just melt into like horrible viscous globs as opposed to like dissolving into pasta water or butter or whatever it is you're using as a dissolving medium. Anyways, um, send me well wishes about my eyeball. I want it to get better. Um, I meant to go see Eternals on Sunday afternoon with James Whiteside and other friends. I might be having brunch Sunday morning with Russell, though he's yet to confirm. We talked about French toast, which now I'm craving. Oh, I'd love a piece of French toast right now with a ton of butter and maple syrup. My mouth is, I'm about to drool on my kitchen table from talking about food so much. Mm. Um, anyways, if you're going to roast a chicken, I highly recommend spatchcocking it. Just like it's faster and it's better. What other advice? I think that's it. If you need more food advice or there's like a specific um, food that you want me to talk about my experience with, by all means, by all means, let me know. In terms of dessert, dinner for one, I mean, I'm certainly not preparing dessert. I don't ever have ice cream in the fridge, but I love ice cream. But I, like tonight for dessert, I had half of a Ritter Sport, which had um, uh, like wafer, or not wafer, like um, very like plain biscuit in it which is delicious. The combination of like milk chocolate and just like super plain biscuit in it. So I ate that. And then I ate two salted caramels from Trader Joe's. And that's my dessert. I feel very, although I'm, though I'm drooling and my mouth is watering now, I don't, I don't crave more dessert at the moment. Um, I also like have a bunch of medjool dates in the cupboard right now. And it's sometimes it's really nice to just pop a seed out and then fill it up with some peanut butter or almond butter. That's a delectable treat. It's almost like a Reese's peanut butter cup, but not total poison. Um, anyways, 
I hope that was fun for you. I know it wasn't so much dance today. Do I have any dance for you? I really don't. Um, but I'll talk to you next week with a guest. Uh, and I hope you've had a really lovely time with me today. And um, I'll see you next week. Bye. Oh.